All right, so this week I want to look at uh, uh, the theme of being content. I know most of you have got this figured out, right? Right? So I've been studying my way through the book of Philippians the last several months, actually. I've been reading through this all summer, and I know you guys do the same thing where you kind of get into a book, and you just read it, and you reread it, and you reread it, because there's just so much there, right? And you want to know, like, Lord, what is it you're teaching me? Like, what am I supposed to glean from this? Because so often, and we fall into this trap, is that we study because we're teaching Sunday school. We're studying because we're preaching, or we're studying because we have a devotional to give, or we're studying because of some other reason, and that's okay, right? But we need to have our times where we are studying because we want to know our Savior more fully, right? Anybody? Yeah, absolutely. Like, we need that. And so this this message is just what the Lord has been walking me through, so you guys get to walk along on this journey this morning. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.15, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It's our duty as followers of Christ to study the scriptures diligently. The purpose, according to this verse, is to show myself to God, to show that I want a deeper relationship with him. I want to know him more fully. And and how many of us would say that that's not true in our life, that we don't want to know God more? It's so true. Like We want to know him. We want to know more of who he is so we can, we can follow him according to his word, right? That's the goal. One quick passage before we get into our section of chapter 4 in Philippians. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That good work that God has started in us He'll complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So turn your Bibles to Philippians 4, and we're just going to look at a few verses this morning. Shouldn't take more than a couple hours. Starting in verse, um, actually, I have verse 11. We're going to back up to verse 10. Chapter 4, verse 10 through 13. And I believe what the, the Lord's been teaching me is just how to be content. And I think it's a good challenge for us all. Let's read these verses together. Verse 10, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that we have the privilege this morning to come and worship you in truth and in spirit. And Father, we do pray that you would would pour out your spirit upon us today. Lord, you would revive hearts and lives and you would help us to see the depth of your love in your word this morning as you're challenging us, Lord, that we need to live a life fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. Lord, I know we say that a lot, but it's the reality of what it looks like to follow you. And Lord, I pray as we walk through these verses that you would teach us, that you would help us to see more fully who you are and more fully who we are in light of that. Lord, that you would help us to grow, help us to change, help us to allow you to mold us in your image, Father, for that's the goal. We thank you for Jesus this morning and what you have done for each one of us, how you made a way, Father, that we can have access to you, the God of glory, the God, the creator God. So we thank you for that. Father, would you open up the reading of your word? Help me, Lord, just to be your vessel today for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So we think about this letter. Philippians is a little bit unusual for Paul. It's not a book where we get lots of doctrine. It's not a book where we see lots of Um, new teachings. It's really a personal letter that Paul is writing to this church who's been a blessing to him. They've come alongside him. They've been a help to him. And he's writing just really a a very personal letter about his own journey. And there's some things that we can learn in the book of, of Philippians. One of the commentators I was reading, he calls it the resources through suffering, as Paul writes. The book is about Christ in our life, Christ in our mind, Christ as our goal, Christ is our strength, which is what we're going to look at today. You remember when Paul was writing to the book, uh, to the church at Philippi, he's writing from a Roman prison, right? How many of you guys have ever been on the cookie thing with gospel echoes, right? And you go to the prisons, 
Yeah, it's not that kind of prison, right? Our modern prisons today with three meals a day and air conditioning and internet, that's not what Paul had. There's a good chance with Paul in a Roman prison, he was probably under house arrest. He would be chained to a guard, and I'm sure he probably went through quite a few guards because they all got saved, I'm guessing, right? (laughs) But in order for him to survive, somebody had to bring him stuff. Like if he was going to eat today, somebody had to bring it. Now, in a, in a Roman area, Paul obviously was on trial or was going to be on trial. So these guards may or may not have liked him. They may or may not even let him have those things that people were bringing him. But there was something about Paul, his dedication to the Lord, his way of overlooking his circumstances that just he's shown wherever he was. He just shown wherever he was. And so as we read through this, we've got to understand that this is where he's sitting. He's sitting in a place where if he's going to eat, somebody's got to bring it to him. If, somebody, if he's going to write a letter to a church, somebody had to bring him paper and pen. And I would be willing to bet when we get to heaven, he wrote lots of letters. Right? We only have 13 of them in our Bible, but I'm sure he wrote lots more. I'm looking forward to hearing more about those things. But this is the guy that's writing these words this morning as we walk into these scriptures. Now, as I was reading this, and, I, and I've had devotionals on this subject, I've read these verses many, many times, and we, we, we've, we've walked down this path before, but when you start in verse number 11, it says, not that I speak in regard to need, he says, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. And Paul uses this interesting thing. He says, I have learned, Right? Now, that learning process in our life is just like that, like things that I have learned, those things that I'm currently learning, and those things I still have yet to learn. But Paul is saying, this is a past tense, like this is who I am now, because I've learned that wherever I'm at, according to verse 11, I speak in regard of need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Paul has learned this. And the challenge that the Lord really laid on my own heart is, Chris, what are you learning? What life lessons are you walking through? What are you, what are you receiving as God is continually teaching us, doesn't he? Yeah, amen, doesn't he? And he loves to use our life as a way of, of uh, teaching us. And Bryce talked about some of that last week in his message about how sovereign God is. So the question this morning, church, is what are we learning? What's God teaching us? What's God teaching us for the fifth time? What path is he walking you down? Because really what God is trying to teach us as we walk with him is that he's able to be trusted, amen? He's able to be trusted. I feel like a really old guy doing this. I'm gonna be as old as Joe next month. Um, I'll be 50. Joe Burkholder, not Byler. So it's coming. <laughs> Turn your Bibles to John chapter 17, looking at verse 15 through 19, John 17. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer, and he's praying for us. I just want to pick out a few things that Jesus is saying to us and about us. Starting in verse 15 of John 17, the Bible says, I do not pray that you should take them out of this world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. You sent me into the world. I also have sent them into the world, and I for their sakes, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Now, Jesus is using this word sanctify here. It really means to make holy, to consecrate, to set apart, which is this direction that God has in our life. When we start thinking about sanctification, which is just a a biblical term that for the longest time I did not know what it meant when I first became a Christian because when you first become a Christian, everybody knows a lot of terms that nobody else knows, right? Like as a new person, they almost need to give you a dictionary of all these new Christian terms. And this is one of those. And really the sanctification process, it starts the day we say yes to Jesus, right? Like I've heard a pastor say one time, it's the first step on a very, very long road, right? 
And so it starts the day of salvation. You, we have justification because Jesus is that justification for us. We are sanctified because of who he is. And now God says, now it's time to make you in my image, right? We're already made in his image on the outside, but now it's time to clean up that inside. Amen? How many of you need the inside cleaning? We do, don't we? There's still some pride. There's still some issues in there. But that inside needs to be clean. But that sanctification process, that being set apart, that consecration, that blessing, that making of holy, that's what God wants to do in his people. And that's what Paul has given testimony to here in um, Philippians chapter 4. Have you ever, ever thought that like this Paul, like he's just like this, this super apostle, like there's something so different about him that really we can't measure up to? You guys ever felt that way? Yeah, we felt that way, right? But is it true? Is it true that Paul was so different than you and I? I don't think so, right? Now, God had a different path for him, right? God's path for him was talked about back in Acts chapter 9 on his day of conversion or a few days after his conversion, actually, when he was with Ananias. He says, this is the guy who's going to suffer many things for my namesake, right? That was the path that God had for Paul. You know, the thing is that God has a path for every one of us, right? He does. It may not be like Paul. We may not write 13 letters and be part of the New Testament writing. We may not plant who knows how many churches he planted, but God has a reason for you. He has a reason for me. The Bible teaches that he poured good gifts into us, and he expects that we all use our gift to edify the body of Christ, which is us sitting here today. And I'm so thankful that we're a part of a church that shares its gifts. But Jesus is praying that we will grow and be sanctified through his word, which means, church, we've got to have a relationship with his word. Like, What's our relationship with that? It's always good on Sunday morning, right? Because your Bible, oh, I found it. It's right here, right? I was at my, my uh, son's house last night. Him and Ashley just moved. Daniel and Ashley moved. And, and uh, we sat down and had dinner. And then Daniel said, it was time for devotions. And they just unpacked everything, but they couldn't find one of their Bibles, right? Now, they have an excuse. They just moved in. But so many times, isn't that us? Like, during the week, there's always an excuse why I don't, I don't read my Bible today, right? And I don't want to heap a burden on you and say, you know, you've got to read 27 verses or 27 chapters a day or, you know, read a whole book a day or whatever. But there should be a hunger and a thirsting inside of us because of who God is and what he's done for us that... We just can't go without it. You know, Seth talked about this a little bit, and when he talked about Matthew chapter 4, which is one of my favorite chapters, where Jesus said, man cannot live by bread alone, by every word that proceeds, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need his word. If we're going to be sanctified through his word, then his word's got to be a major part of our lives. The problem is we have so many things at our, at our fingertips, Right? We have Christian radio, we have a good church, we have small group, we have Sunday school, we have whatever, fill in the blank. We have Bible apps, and we have Bibles, and we have podcasts, and YouTube. There's all these great resources, right? The problem is, is we lean on all of that so much that we don't take time to just read our Bibles for ourselves. It's true. It's true. It's true in my own life, and it's one of the things the Lord's been helping me to see that I need to be focused on my relationship with him. He wants to grow me up. He wants to grow you up. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 15, just a couple chapters back. And let's talk about this learning process just for a few minutes. We're gonna look at the first five verses of John 15. This is Jesus teaching. Jesus says in verse one, he says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit, for without me, you can do nothing. So Jesus gives us this picture that he is the vine and his father is the vine dresser. He's the one who prunes the vine. 
And we are the branches hanging off of that vine, which is Jesus. And he's given us this picture that, have you ever seen a branch not attached to a vine? Right, you, you burn it, right? Because it's dead. But a branch that is attached to the vine, what do they do with that? Well, they come through and they prune it periodically because it's bearing fruit. But you know, if I cut it back a little bit, there'll be a lot more fruit coming off this thing, Right? We've got an apple tree, three apple trees in our backyard, and we didn't prune them last year. And they gave us a decent amount of apples this year. They weren't very big. But this tree is just really, it's whopper-jawed. It's kind of ugly. And it desperately needs some pruning because we know it's needed in its life, right? And see, God knows that about us. He knows the pruning that's necessary in my life that's going to bring about more fruit, more fruit for him. Not more fruit for Chris, but more fruit for him. And Jesus is teaching us here that those that he loves, he prunes. How many of you like to be pruned? Right? Not, not talking about if you like prunes, right? Which I do. How many of you like to be pruned? How many like to be told no? God, I want to I go through this open door and, and God says no. We pray for healing and it doesn't happen. You know, life's tough at times. You know, crops fail, cars break down, houses burn down, bad things happen. But just think about our normal everyday life. And this is what the Lord has been teaching me. My wife and I, we, we love to serve. It's, it's a fault at times because we'll serve to the point that we have nothing left for anything else, right? Not talking about financial needs, but just there's no daylight left, right? If somebody needs something, my wife's all about making it happen. She'll say, honey, I've got 14 things for you to do that uh, somebody else needed, you got to love that, right, guys? When your wife volunteered you to serve, which is good. I love to serve. But the problem is, is I get frustrated at times because I still have things that I want to do or that I need to do. And what the Lord has been teaching me is that, Chris, it's just not about you. Do you guys know that? That this life is not about you, not our life in Jesus. And I can either, I can either do two things, right? I can love to serve and get frustrated because I can't, I can't get my own windows painted before winter. Or I can serve and be Jesus to other people. Like, what's, the, what, what's, what's more important here? Because remember, James teaches us that our life is but a vapor, right? That this life on this earth, we may have 80 years. Let's just pick a number. Compare that to eternity. Like, it's just going to be just a, just a blip. And, and if my windows don't get painted, but we have the privilege to share Jesus with someone, we have the privilege to help someone, to serve another person, what's more important? What's more important in our lives when someone calls and they have a need? Are we willing to and able to pick up and do those things? And I'm not chastising anybody. This, this church is a great picture of this. But Jesus teaches us in John 15 here that this abiding in him is welcoming his pruning in our life. And this is that learning that Paul is saying. He says, I have learned because Jesus has done these things in his life. He's pruned Paul back. Remember, Paul is saying this again from prison. Like he has nothing of his own. And yet he's saying, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be content. James chapter one, verse two through four says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Lacking nothing. Second Timothy three fourteen says, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you learned them. Has this picture of truly learning. So again, church, what are we learning? What is God doing in our life? What is he teaching us? I had the privilege of being in the garage the other day, and uh, it's been maybe a week or so ago, and, and I was having a conversation with a young man, and I find myself having these conversations more and more with different young men. I'm very thankful. It's such a privilege to be able to speak life into young people. It's one of the favorite things that, that we have to do as a family. And so I was having this conversation with this young man, and and it just dawned on me that I had the exact same conversation with him in the same place about a year ago, standing in my garage. And his, his complaints were, well, you know, I'm still struggling in my finances and I'm really having a hard time with this. And, you know, but next year, next year is going to be different. And he said, well, I'm still struggling in my marriage and I'm still 
walking with the Lord, even though there's no fruit, he's not going to church, there's no prayer life, there's no spending time in his word. And he says, I just don't know what to do. And I, it just dawned on me, we just had the same conversation. I said, well, didn't we have this conversation last year? And he said, well, let's think about that. And so we talked about it a minute. He goes, yeah, you're right. I think we did. I said, then what changed? What changed? I said, because now we're having the same conversation a year later. And I said, I, I promise you, if nothing changes, there'll be a third conversation next year. Now take that and apply it to our own lives. How many times do we come across a verse that maybe we don't like? It's not our favorite verse. How many times do we hear the guy on the radio bringing a devotional, maybe something that God's trying to work in your life, one of these different brothers who've been up here preaching something in your life that God is trying to deal with, but we kind of got our hand up just like this. Don't we? I'm not the only one. We have to allow the Lord to teach us. But you know what? In order for us to learn so many times, we have to be willing to admit that we're wrong. And I, that's, I don't like that. Who wants to be wrong? Well, we should want to be, right? Because it means God's working in our life. He's growing us. He wants to do great and wonderful things in our life. You think about just the last dozen weeks since Merlin's been gone, all the different brothers who've been preaching and teaching. You know, what's God been speaking to you about during all those different messages, those times when you're having your devotions? Like, what's changing in you? right? Because there should always be something. There's always something God is trying to mold you and make you into a better you because remember, we're made in his image. He's trying to clean us up to make us more useful for the kingdom. And if you want to serve, allow him to clean you up. But so many times we dig our heels in, don't we? We want to drop our anchor, right? And then we, we kind of, Lord, this is far enough. Like, I don't know if I want to go any further. Like, I'm better than so-and-so. I, I, my marriage is better than so-and-so's marriage. Or my kids are, they're okay, right? They're not killing each other. But that's not, that's not okay. Like, we have got to stop dropping the anger. We've got to stop putting our hand up and just say, Lord, like, you saved me. This life is not about me. Mark 8, 35 says, if we want to find our life, we have to lose our life. And those that lose our life, that's when we'll find, that's when we'll have our life saved and we'll truly find this purpose that God has for us. My wife and I were talking about this a few weeks ago as we were traveling. I'm not sure even where we were at the time. We were traveling somewhere. Just how our life has changed in 25 years of not knowing Jesus 25 years ago to now knowing Jesus and we get to serve him full time. We have eight children we get to go to this great church and you guys appreciate and like us. We really appreciate that. And then I get the privilege to stand here. If you guys would have known me 25 years ago, I would have, I would have run out of this building if you'd have told me I had to stand up here and preach or stand in front of anyone or any time. Now you gotta run me off. I told Merlin three more months, great for sabbatical. I'm teasing. So through the highs and lows of life, God taught Paul to keep his eyes on the prize, which is the salvation, uh, salvation in Jesus. Nothing else really matters. I want to run through three quick things that we can learn in this passage that the Lord's been teaching me. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. The first lesson we're going to talk about is being content or being in that state of contentment that Paul is mentioning here. Hebrews chapter 13, verse five. The Bible says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, I love this verse because he says our conduct, our outward actions, the things that we're doing, let it be without jealousy or covetousness, but be content with the things that we have. To be content. Now, would you say that as Westerners or as Americans, that we're, we're known for our contentment? No, that's, that's really not our testimony. Um, wish it was. Okay, so what, let's think about in the church. What about in the church? Are we known for our contentment? Is Christianity in, in America known for, those are just some content people, 
right? Maybe not, right? I don't know for sure, but uh, not always in my own life. Not always in my own life. Because this, this idea of contentment, really, it, it means that I'm just okay with what God has for me. First Timothy chapter 6, if you flip over there for me. Verses 6 through 10. more verses on contentment. The Bible says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. For he brought nothing into this world and is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Here he, he, he joins contentment with godliness. He says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. He says, if we're gonna live this godly life and you add this attitude or this character of contentment, it's a beautiful thing. Have you met people like this? Like no matter what the situation is, they just, they just have this trusting spirit that, God's going to see us through. Their, their hair doesn't get all wild. Like they don't freak out like I do at times when, there's, when the checkbook gets really, really low, right? But you know, it's easy to be those ways when, when things are really good. But this contentment with godliness is great gain. When you think about how God wants to clean us up, you know, really this battle that we have, it starts in our minds, doesn't it? in our thoughts. There's so many verses about um, bringing those thoughts captive, 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5. Um, there's other verses that talk about how we have to have the mind of Christ, be renewed in the mind of Christ. But I want to turn to Romans chapter 12, looking at the first two verses. This is my favorite text for, for these verses. I know a lot of you probably have this memorized. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And, be not, and uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We've got to renew our mind. We've got to take our our mind off of the affections and and the goofiness of this lost world and put them on Jesus and his kingdom and what he has for us. Because so many times I, I think that we struggle more as Christians, not so much against the devil. I think we struggle more with just obeying the word. Don't we? We know what it says, and we just we, we were challenged to put it in practice. We love to tell other people to put it in practice, but we really challenge sometimes to, to walk it out in our own lives. I had uh, a, a young lady, when I, when I shared the message on uh, the home about wives, and uh, she, she was offended. And she says, you know, I, I am a submissive wife. And she told me that she, was, she let her husband make a few decisions. She felt like that was obeying the word. And I said, well, that's not what the Bible says, right? But don't we do that? And I'm not picking on her. But don't we do that? We somehow want to read the word, but we see this lower expectation that God has for us, right? We got we to quit doing that. We got to quit doing that. We've got to allow the word of God to be what it is and just say yes and amen. And God, through his Holy Spirit, will give us all that we need to be able to walk that out. Amen? Let's go back to Philippians chapter 4. Back to verse 12. Paul says, I know how to, how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everything and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul is basically saying here that I've learned that my Christianity or my faith in Jesus has nothing to do with my circumstances. Now think about that for a minute, church. It's easy to say, oh, I love Jesus when everything's good, right? But what when things aren't so good? What about when there's challenges with your children? There's health concerns. Maybe there's challenges in your marriage. 
right? What's our faith look like at that point? Our faith cannot be situational. Our faith has to be grounded that Jesus is who he says he is. That doesn't change. And what Paul is saying here, regardless of my circumstance, I'm okay. I'm content. Now think about Paul and put, put Paul in our setting today. So let's, let, let's say that uh, Joe Byler here went to jail for his faith. And then Joe gets out, right? What's Joe going to do? Joe's going to write a book and go on tour, right? That's what he's going to do. And go tell the whole world about, how, about his suffering and how awful it was. You know what Paul says? I'm just going to focus on Jesus, right? Because he's a real winner in this, right? Jesus is the one. I'm living in this place because of Jesus. I'm placed here because of living my faith out for Jesus. Must be where he wants me to be. And I can imagine Paul, like we talked about earlier, there was probably a lot of people getting saved that were chained to him. Which is a beautiful picture. Beautiful picture. Now, quick side note on contentment. If you're making wrong choices, you're making sinful choices, you're making foolish decisions, don't, don't, don't try to make that into God's will for your life. You know, some people think that Every wrong decision you make, somehow God allowed you to make that decision. No, I, I believe in free will. I believe you chose to make that decision. And I do believe that God, if you repent and turn your heart back to him, he'll more than happy help you walk that decision back, right? Amen? But we have to be able to make, take responsibility because I've made a lot of wrong decisions in my life. I've made a lot of wrong decisions this side of the cross in my life. I've made a lot of wrong decisions since we've moved up here. Right? And with you guys, I've made wrong decisions. I need to take responsibility for those things, and God is able to help us walk down that path. The second thing we, could, we see in this section is trust. You know, we think about trust, it's really easy. Like I said before, when our, when our bank account is full, the harvest is in, we've got all of our canning done, and our, our basements are overflowing with peaches, right? And applesauce and green beans and the other stuff that nobody eats, right? But when it's overflowing, when our bank account's overflowing, when our, everybody's healthy and strong, it's so easy to trust the Lord. But what, ha- what if something happens to our economy, right? What if we can't turn the lights on in the church because we can't afford to pay for it? What's our faith gonna be like then? What's our trust level look like then when things aren't where they need to be? Quick story from India. So Friday, we had... Uh, a group of pastors are getting together in Uttar Pradesh, which is northern India. It's 0.1% Christianity, 200 million people in this one state. And we had a group of 20 guys, and they were going through their daily training, their, their monthly training, the day we spend training them. The RSS, which is the government that's in control at the moment, walked in and started putting people in jail. And our leader was able to run out the back door, ran all the way to the train station, and, and kept going. Because he's the one with all the information that leads back to us as a ministry. And so because of that, four people got arrested and they're being charged with who knows what. But do we trust God? You guys know the story that we told a few weeks ago where we had a pastor who was murdered. You know what his wife said? We would do it again. We would go out and plant those churches again. We would do it all over again because it's worth it. That's the widow saying it with seven kids at home. That's trusting the Lord. You start talking about how much stuff we really have. How many of us have a house bigger than we need? All of us, right? How many of us have more than a bicycle, right? We all have so much. And I'm not saying any of this to make you feel guilty for those things. God's blessed you. Use it for his glory. I think sometimes people get, get a little picky towards people who have more resources, The danger in those resources is don't put your trust in them. As long as you don't do that, you're fine. And remembering that it's all because of the Lord. It's easy to trust. Jeremiah 17. Turn your Bibles to Jeremiah 17. When I was first a Christian, I used to hate when the pastor would go from the New Testament to the Old Testament because I couldn't find anything. And it took me so long to look it up find the page number and get to that. And then by the time I found it, he'd already read the verses. Jeremiah 17, seven. It 
The Bible says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green. It will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Trust. It's a beautiful picture of what it looks like to be that blessed man who's truly trusting in the Lord, how God's provision will take care of us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Our trust must be in that he is sovereign. His ways are always the best way. And it's because we trust we can see the hand of God in our lives molding and making us in his image. Are we willing to yield ourselves to that path completely? I had a, a lunch uh, meeting a few weeks ago with one of the guys I used to work with. And uh, really good guy, used to love working with him. And he's telling me all the great and wonderful things that are happening in this company that I used to help run and how much money that I would be making today if I was still there and the bonuses and all the things and all this, that, and the other. And I was like, I finally told him, I said, would you just quit talking? Like, I don't want to hear all that because it, it's, it stirred a little bit, right? Started thinking, I could finally pay this house off, right? Could do this, we could do that with this money. And the Lord just kind of corrected me and said, but Chris, you have a job, right? You are working, you are doing things. And I've got to be content where God's placed me, amen? And I wasn't very content at that moment. So the question is, church, are we okay with God's plan for our lives? Are we, like, are we okay with that? Are we okay with being a pastor? Are we okay with being a farmer? Are we okay, are we okay with just, I heard, a, I heard a young lady one time tell me, she goes, well, I'm just a wife. Well, that's an amazing thing. And your husband probably really appreciates you. But are we okay with being a mom of 27 younger ones, right? I was thinking of Jessica. But are we okay with where God has placed us? Because we have to think about that. That's exactly where he wants to train us up, teach us, mold us, make us, so we can be more useful for his kingdom. Are we okay with where he's placed us? How about you young people? Are you okay living in your house with your mom and dad and all those rules and regulations and can't do this and have to do that? I know it's terrible, right? Don't say amen to that. But sometimes you think it is. But you realize where God's placed you. You have this beautiful privilege to serve there. We think about trust, I always think about Peter in Matthew 14 where Peter sees Jesus in the midst of the storm and Jesus, he looks out there and they cry out to him and Jesus says, it's me. And Peter says, well, hey, you're on the water. How about I come out on the water? And again, this is just my paraphrase, right? And, and Peter hops out of the boat, Right? And so many times, this is exactly us. We want to hop out of the boat. I'm going to trust you, Lord. And as soon as he gets out of the boat, he starts looking around going, these waves are pretty big, right? That's a, that's a big one over there. That wind is really coming around. And as soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus, what happened? He started to sink, right? What was he doing, what God told him to do? Jesus told him to come. So many times, that's our trust, right? We want to, we'll get a couple steps into it. And then we realize the decision that we just made. We realize the brevity of the situation. And we quickly want to, maybe I should back this up a little bit. Brothers and sisters, whatever it is God is calling us to, the way that he wants to use our life as a glory, uh, for glory and honor to who he is, it's worth it. It is worth it. One of my favorite stories, that's um, one, one encouragement to families, read missionary stories to your kids. You want to raise up missionaries, you got to read missionary stories to them. One of our favorite stories was George Mueller. Do you guys remember George Mueller? Love this guy, right? He raised over 10,000 orphans, and he, he officially never asked for any money. The way he would ask for money is he would actually just tell people the great things that God is doing, and people would feel compelled, and they'd give him more. So one morning, as the story goes, George Mueller gets up, and he knows there's no milk for the kids, and there's no bread. And so he gets up, and now the kids, they go out, and they sit down, and, and they are getting ready to pray. And, and George Mueller is convinced that God is always going to feed these orphans. 
right? And now all these kids are sitting there. There's no food on the plates. And he starts to pray. And as he's praying, there's a knock on the door. And as you guys know the story, the baker was awakened at 3 in the morning, knowing that George Mueller's going to need bread tomorrow or this morning. So he gets up and he makes all this bread. And as he's bringing this bread in, now they've got bread, but there's still no milk. Well, there's another knock at the door. And remember, you guys remember the story. The, the dairy guy, his wagon was broke down at front, and he needed to get all this milk off the wagon so they could fix the wagon. Now, is that trust? That's a beautiful story. Like, it's his history. It's true. I didn't make this up. You can read it in the book. This guy believed in a very big God who had called him to a very big ministry, and he knew that God was not going to leave these kids hungry. And you know what his testimony is? God never did. Now, as it goes with George Mueller, he, he had personally was given about $700,000 throughout his entire life as he was in a ministry. People would give him money specifically for himself. And as, it, as the story goes, he never kept a penny for himself. He always gave it back to the ministry or to some other ministry. But it's how he lived his life. He lived a life fully surrendered to who Jesus is. The third lesson in this section, if you go back to Philippians, you're going to read verse 13. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How many of you ever heard that verse? You ever heard it incorrectly? Yeah, you hear it a lot incorrectly. Like anytime somebody wants to justify something that they're doing, they say that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've heard people say it on the ball field and, and uh, some type of political events, you know. They want to somehow justify their actions, right? But really what Paul is talking about here is nothing, none of that, right? He's pointing back to what we just read about. He's saying that I can live this life, this content, sanctified life, this life where I can have a lot or I can have a little, but my, my relationship to Jesus, my, my ability to remain in Christ is not based on any of those things. My faith isn't based on those things. My faith is based on the fact that I can do all things. I can live through, excuse me, any situation because of Jesus. Amen? Paul recognized that he can't do anything, nothing on his own, but only as Christ lives within him. Paul says, I can be content knowing, trusting Jesus at his word. He recognized the strength of God working in him and nothing else. Now think about that for a minute. As we learn from the Lord, as we, as we learn to be content where he's placed us and how he's placed us, as we trust him to take care of us. Now, one quick caveat on trust. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat, right? We knew a man years ago, and we went to church with him, and he uh, lost his job. Um, and he was able to get other jobs, but he took a year, and, and the way he put it was, I'm just sitting at home waiting for manna from heaven. Well, during this time, his wife had a part-time job, and she got a full-time job to go with her part-time job, and then she also got a third job babysitting on the weekends. But he's sitting at home in his easy chair doing nothing, right? Waiting for manna from heaven, okay? That's not what he's talking about here. Don't try to spiritualize something that's not true. The Bible says you don't work, you don't eat. Paul did this himself. He was a tent maker. He didn't want to be a burden to other people. But when we think about trusting the Lord, it's not a blind faith or a blind trust where we do nothing. It's where we take his word, we apply it to where we are, and we keep moving forward. William Carey, one of my favorite missionaries, he had a quote that says, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. Let me say that one more time. I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. He realized the only things in life that matter are God's will. Do you guys know much about William Carey? I love missionary stories. William Carey labored in India for seven years without support because his mission agency, and he was a Baptist guy, right? This was before missions even really got started. He went to the, to the Baptist conference and asked him, said, hey, I want to go to India and I want to reach these Hindus. I want to reach out to these people and preach the gospel. You know what they told him? 
So if God wants to save the heathen, he can do it himself. And he pointed him right to the word and said, what about this great commission? And they told him, he said, that's not for you. So he went anyway. Didn't have a lot of support. He went anyway. He labored for seven years before he had his first convert. He translated the Bible, new portions of the Bible, because there's so many languages in India. He got them all ready to print, and his barn burned down. He had to completely start over. You imagine, I think it was 14 years of work, had to completely start over. Content. He didn't leave the mission field. He continued on, and, and to this day, he, he was able to do 29 New Testament languages and six full Bibles, planted a university there, multiple churches, was able to work in the government and do great things to change some of the rotten things that they were doing. But are we content where God's placed us in the midst of hard situations? Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Joe mentioned one of these verses this morning. Chapter 6, we're going to read 25 through 34. Just give me a few more minutes and we'll button this up. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. This is a Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus giving his marching orders to his disciples, which we are one of his disciples, and helping them to see that, guys, this is what it looks like to follow me. This is what that heart change looks like. He says in verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worry can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, you, O ye, uh, O you of little faith? Verse 31. Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Jesus kind of brings it home there at the very end. It's not about our life. It's not about what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat, the things that we're going to do. It's about keeping our eyes and our minds focused on Jesus, focused on what he has for us, what his word has to teach us. But seek first the kingdom. Church, what are we seeking? If you want to ask yourself, well, what do you mean by that, Chris? Well, how do you spend your time? How are you spending your time? Is it on yourself? What are we doing with our resources? Are we really focused on the kingdom? Because if we're going to raise up missionaries and teachers and preachers from our church, we've got to be focused on this. If we want this next generation in our church to be stronger than the generation sitting here today, we've got to be this, we've got to be this example to them. Turn your Bibles back to Matthew, or excuse me, Philippians 4 one more time. I'm going to read through the text one more time, and then we'll bring this to a close. Hope you guys are picking up something I'm trying to walk through here this morning. Back to Philippians 4, chapter, or chapter 4, verse 10. Actually, starting verse 11. Paul says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content Regardless of what's going on, I can be content knowing and trusting in who Jesus is. Verse 12, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry and to suffer need. And as a result of this testimony of what God is doing in his life, Paul now says, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Strengthens him to get through these difficult times. Strengthens him to be useful in the midst of a difficult time. I mean, think about Paul, for example. I mean, using his life, no matter where he was, to share the gospel. To share the gospel. 
The Bible says in John 14, 6, Jesus says to, him, to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except the Spirit draws him. So my question this morning is, are we okay with the plan that God has for us? But really, it starts with our relationship with the Lord. Like, where is our relationship with the Lord? We talked about this when I was preaching through the Sermon on the Home, that we have to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? Big task, but it's something he's able to work in us. But what is our relationship with the Lord like? Is it just a Sunday morning, amen, and, and we're back to normal life Monday through Friday? My wife and I, we, we have the privilege of spending time with different young people and people that have grown up their whole life in the church. And Jesus was never said once in their home Monday through Friday. Bible's not open. No prayer except for meals. The expectation that God has as his followers because of all that he has done for us, it's so much higher. Amen. So I just want to encourage you this morning that we need to be learning and allow that learning to change us and mold us in his image. I want you to stand and we can pray together and be dismissed. Thank you for your time and attention this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. Lord, what a privilege it is to have it in our language where they have the ability to read it and understand it. But Lord, it's, there's so, such a depth to your word, Father. As we really read here with Paul how he has learned, like as he's walked with you for uh, close to 30 years at this point, Father, that he had learned to trust you and to trust you completely, Father. And I just pray, Lord, you would help us to see today those obstacles in our lives, or, or maybe we're even the obstacle at times, Father, where we are holding you back from teaching us to trust you, uh, holding ourselves back from really laying it all down at your feet, Father. And I pray, Lord, that we would just be a church that truly has surrendered all because of your goodness, because of your grace, because of what you have done for us, Father. And I know that so many times for me, Lord, as I look to all that you have done for me, then when I look to your word, all I can say is yes and amen. Being reminded of the sacrifice that you made to pay the penalty of my sin. The penalty of all the sin of everyone in this room and how you freely offer forgiveness, Father but there is an expectation you have on us as your followers that we would follow. And it's what your word teaches us today, Father. So I pray that you would challenge us in our walks, Lord. Move mightily in our midst, Father. Continue to grow us in a big way, Father, that other people can truly see Jesus in each one of us. Lord, I think of Pastor Merlin today as, and the family as they're somewhere in their travels. I pray a blessing on them, Father. We look forward to seeing them soon. Thank you for what you're doing. I also want to pray for our dear sister Lana. Would you bless and encourage her, Father, with a big task that she has with helping with her mother? Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.